Christchurch, New Malden, 28th of March, 2021. Nathan Larkin speaking on Humanity and Creation, Gardens of Despair and Hope. Gardens in the Bible are really important. What we find in the Bible is the story of humanity beginning and ending in a garden. And not only is the Bible bookended by gardens, if we look closely, we can see that many of the gardens mentioned in the Bible are connected as well. And today, as we finish our focus on God's creation, we're going to look at three of those gardens. The Garden of Eden in Genesis, the gardens of the Easter story, and the garden city in the book of Revelation. The beginning, the middle, and the end. Looking at the big picture, as I said, we find gardens at the beginning and the end of the grand biblical story. But something went horribly wrong. We don't live in either of these gardens. We live somewhere in between. Now, we've spent a lot of time over the past few weeks reading from those passages at the beginning of our Bibles about Eden, the good world that God created, our challenge to care for it, and the mess that we've made of it. There's no real need for me to cover old ground on this, but if you're anything like me, you'll have found this series incredibly challenging. Each week, as we've looked at so many of the resources that we have been blessed with, things like food, water, energy, We've also had to face up to how greed, wastefulness and complacency has led to a degradation of God's world and the many issues of global injustice that are connected to it. I really hope that the scale of the problem hasn't left you feeling hopeless. We could choose to wallow in the mess that we've made of the planet, but each week we've also been presented with hope. Different suggestions, some big and some small, that can help us to work towards being a part of the solution, instead of increasing the problem. Now Eden was a picture the biblical authors painted of paradise. At the beginning, God gives the first humans a mandate to fill the whole earth. The garden is their starting point for that great adventure. Of course, we know that things go wrong pretty quickly and that it takes a remarkable and gracious intervention from God to put things back on track. The Bible takes its readers on a journey between creation and recreation. And as we've reflected on many of the man-made problems the world is facing, you could be forgiven for thinking that God would probably be better off starting over, a return to Eden. But that would simply restore us to the starting point And God has already rejected that option. We see that in the story of the flood. God is committed to his creation. And more than that, he is committed to our partnership with him in restoring it. That's why when we get to the end of the biblical story, we find the description that we heard read of the garden city in Revelation. Not a return to Eden, but something new altogether. So, if we can't return to an Eden-like existence, and we're still awaiting the climax of all history and the unveiling of the eternal garden city, then where does that leave us now? Well, I believe that the gardens that we find in the Easter story are a symbolic connecting point between the good world that God created and the restored world that we live in anticipation of. You could say that on the way from the Garden of Eden, to the Garden City, 
humanity must go through the gardens of Easter. And as we come to the end of our Carbon Fast for Lent today, and we enter Holy Week, I hope that in looking at these gardens, we might see the connection. That the redemption of Easter is about more than just our individual sins being dealt with, and that instead it is about the redemption of all creation, and the part that we get to play in it too. The first Easter garden we're going to look at isn't actually a garden at all, but I think you'll see why I've included it. Today is of course Palm Sunday, the day that we traditionally celebrate and reflect on Jesus arriving in Jerusalem as a new kind of king. We're told in the Gospels that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and that many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut from their fields or their gardens. His entry into the city evoked great excitement and the people used these palm branches as a symbol of Jesus' victory, triumph and praise. It's significant here that we see nature in the palm branches being used to worship God, which is a theme that we see throughout scripture. The great Psalm number 19 proclaims that the skies declare the glory of the Lord. And Psalm 148 is one long catalogue describing how all of creation sings the Maker's praise. Towards the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 7, we're given a picture that is strikingly similar to this scene from Palm Sunday, when we read of a great multitude one day gathered from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne with palm branches in their hands, singing God's praise. The Bible is clear that creation reveals God's majesty. All of heaven and earth are singing God's praises. The problem is not everyone is in tune. As Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, there were some who were really uncomfortable with the palm leaves and the celebration. And when they complained, Jesus' response to them was that if the people stopped worshipping, even the stones would cry out. The Bible tells us that God created all we see to reveal his glory. It's one of the ways that God makes himself known to us. Nature sings of the majesty of its creator. Even the stones would cry out and the trees of the fields clap their hands. It's there all around us. But are we paying attention? This is God's world. This is God's beautiful world, and we are merely stewards of it for this generation. There's a Native American proverb that says, We do not inherit the earth from our ancestors. We borrow it from our children. When we ignore the worship song of nature and treat it only as a resource to be plundered, then we are just as out of tune with God as those Pharisees who were pleading with Jesus to tell the crowd to stop worshipping. When we live lives that are destructive towards nature, we are clashing against God's masterpiece. And I wonder, how must that make our worship appear to God? I imagine it's like listening to someone telling you how much they admire Da Vinci, whilst at the same time they're ripping up the Mona Lisa. Throughout this series, we've looked at all of the destructive ways that we have treated nature. But let's make sure 
that we are regularly taking time to stop and listen to its worship song. Because just like those palm leaves plucked from their gardens all those years ago, nature is still singing out in praise to God. Do we want to join in its song? Or will we continue to drown it out with the noise of our selfish lifestyles? The second Easter garden we're going to look at is probably the garden most associated with Holy Week, Gethsemane. After the Last Supper, Jesus went there with a few of his disciples and asked them to pray. Jesus spent time in that garden alone, disturbed by what he knew he was about to face. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, he said. This was truly a garden of despair. A garden of struggle. A garden in which Jesus looked at the situation ahead of him and the reality dawned of what was needed to be done. Maybe this series has been a wake-up call for you. Perhaps you've always felt comfortable in that first Easter garden. Maybe you've pictured yourself waving a palm branch, joining in nature's worship song to God. Yes, I'm sure that's where I fit. But perhaps as the weeks have gone on, the reality of how out of tune our lifestyles are with God has set in. Perhaps we can now identify with this Garden of Gethsemane. How much our lives have to change is becoming clear. But Jesus didn't accidentally find himself in Gethsemane. He chose to go there. For us. For this world. And that choice was costly, but he faced up to it. For him, it was literally a life and death choice. If we're really committed to change, it will cost us. It will be a struggle. But following Jesus is about sacrifice. The answer to our struggles doesn't lie in some silver bullet, an easy solution that lets us off the hook. The answer is found in the cross. To follow the way of Jesus is to surrender to pick up our crosses and follow him. And if the world is heading towards that garden city one day, then we need to be a part of making that change now. And it will cost us. But are the changes we need to make a sacrifice we're willing to pay? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus decided he was prepared to take up the call. Are we? The next garden we find is where Jesus was buried. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, there was a tomb where they laid him. In this garden, it feels like all hope is lost. Jesus was dead. Hope was gone. Now God went through this dark garden and came out the other side. But what about us? We still live in a broken world. We still live in what can feel like a hopeless place. As we read the statistics, it can feel like nothing that we do is going to stop the impending disaster of our changing climate. Why is it like this? Can we not just skip to that glorious garden city that we know God has promised us one day? How do we go on living in this in-between kind of garden? When we look at the size of the problems we're facing, it can be easy to feel hopeless. 
But we need to remember that no matter how dark that garden of burial was, the grave could not hold Jesus then, and it still cannot hold him today. Our suffering will not last forever. Jesus redeems the past and provides hope for tomorrow. That same garden of burial, the place where it seemed all hope was lost, became the garden of resurrection. Three days later, Mary arrived to find Jesus had risen. And because of that garden of resurrection, there is hope. Jesus has made renewal possible. We don't have to give in to despair. We're still here for a reason. We're still here for a purpose. And Jesus lived the frustrating, messy middle of our human existence. He knows what it's like to face a world that is filled with injustice and suffering. And he's not abandoned us to it. He is still with us. Jesus gave us his spirit and that spirit lives within us. So God has not abandoned us in the dark garden of burial. Because of the resurrection, God plans to reclaim it, remake it, renew it, resurrect it. And God wants us to join him in the garden. God is straightening up this garden of his creation through us. We are here now to garden with God. It's simply not enough to look at the mess that we have made of the earth and lament. As Christians, we are called to be people of hope, resurrection people. In our garden at home, we have a piece of art that says to plant a garden is to believe in tomorrow. As followers of Jesus, we believe in tomorrow. So let's live like it. May we be a part of the solution. May our lifestyles and the choices we make reflect our commitment to God's creation. May we take up the call to have a role in the restoration of the earth rather than its destruction. And maybe then we can pick up our palm branches and join in nature's song of worship. We're caretakers of God's creation. We don't own this garden. God does. But we have a responsibility to take care of it. God has tasked us with taking care of all of the life around us. And we do that in the relationships we have with our world and the people around us. But it's not just about the people we see. The ripples of our lifestyles and the choices we make have far-reaching impact. God has made life on this planet interdependent. We all depend on each other. And God plants us in different places in his garden so that we might bring about his vision in every corner. We are caretakers. You are a caretaker. And more than that, we are co-creators. God created heaven and earth. God created humanity. God created everything. But we're not just looking after the creation as it is. Every day we shape it for good or for bad. Every day we have the opportunity to bring forth little pieces of new creation. God is of course the creator with a capital C, but we are co-creating with God in little ways all the time. 
The choices we make for good. The acts of love we share. When we adjust our lifestyles for the good of the planet and the people we share it with. When we do these things, we are pointing towards that new creation, the Garden City. You see, there are many similarities between the Garden of Eden at the beginning and the Garden City at the end. But there's a really important difference that I think should give us hope and excitement. Eden was entirely the creation of God alone. But where we're headed, this Garden City, it's a co-creation of people with God. A garden and a city. Cities are a man-made construction. And instead of returning us to a garden, God is ushering us towards a garden city. A partnership. We humans are the reason our planet has ended up in the mess that we're in. But God doesn't give up on us. He wants us to be a part of the solution. We're creators, whether we realise it or not. We all create. But the question is, what kind of a world do we want to make? The Garden of Eden represented what the world should have been. And these Easter gardens represent the world as it is now. The Garden City in Revelation represents what the world will one day become once the resurrecting process concludes. So this week, as we move towards Good Friday, may we know that Jesus has been to and made it through Gethsemane. And this week, as we move towards Easter morning, may we know that Jesus redeems the past and provides us with hope for the future. And this week, as God raises the dead to new life and does a new thing in us, May we know that God loves us and has a purpose for us. God is with you and God is calling for you to join him in tending his garden.